0: Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this Sabbath day. One day, one Sabbath closer, one day closer to heaven. Father, I ask that you would bless us as we come to reason together this morning. We ask that you would bless us with the Holy Spirit. May he be our teacher this morning. I pray you would hide me behind your cross and let not me be seen but you. You've promised that if if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So, Father, we want to lift you up in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. Please, Father, we we plead, we beg for your wisdom this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. This particular message is entitled Opus, Identifying the Mind's Mark. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about. And we'll be talking specifically about the brain and specific regions of the brain. And opus is a musical term, actually. And an opus is an artistic work, especially one on a large scale. And I believe when God created our brains, when He created not only the brain, but the mind it's altogether different, by the way the brain is an organ. But consciousness and the mind is something science just doesn't understand. And when God created the brain, and, and more so, the mind, I believe He put within inside of each one of our heads an opus, a great work, a grand scale. Because, friends, what we can do between the few inches between our ears is remarkable. And if we allow God to capture this brain of ours, and more specifically the mind, and let God have control of it, there's no end to what He can do through a human being. What a privilege. What a responsibility. Should we not protect this beautiful opus? Absolutely. God created a masterpiece in each one of us. Now, let's put into perspective that we are in a cosmic battle. There's a cosmic battle over you and over me. And the devil wants to capture our attention. God wants to capture our attention. And so there's both sides here. And they're at war for our soul, but specifically the way that they they gain our soul is through our decisions and through our choices. Does that make sense? Absolutely. God wants our willing worship, our willing love. On the other hand, Satan wants our willing or ignorant worship. And there are many people around the country and around the world who are ignorantly obeying and worshiping the devil. They don't even know it. You see, God doesn't work that way. He doesn't want us to ignorantly worship Him. Just do this because I said that. That's not the God I serve. God says, come let us reason together. Taste and see that I'm good. He doesn't say eat the whole meal, right? He's saying taste and see. In other words, let's spend some time together. The devil just wants to, frankly, force feed us. His will. His desires. God says, if you so choose me, then I will be here for you. We can have a great relationship, even a saving one. God wants our minds fully intact and aware. He wants us to be aware. He doesn't want to trick us. He doesn't want to hypnotize us. He wants to help us to use this opus that he has given each one of us, this masterpiece in each one of our heads. Satan wants to, on the other hand, short-circuit our minds. He wants to blind us. In fact, the devil has figured out many cunning ways. He's very sly, and he has no good intention for you. We talked about that last night. The reality is he wants to do anything he can to blunt our view of God. And he wants to sever, tarnish, erode away our connection with God. In fact, he's learned that there are certain methodologies, certain vehicles, mechanisms that he can put in our life that will short-circuit our minds. They will, he will short-circuit our connection with Christ. He's very good at it. And dare I say, most of us at some point in our life have probably had this situation in our life. We've been short-circuited, if you will. This will make more sense as we progress. God wants us to make an intelligent decision based on evidence of His love. He doesn't want us to just blindly follow. He wants us to make intelligent decisions. In fact, that's what most attracted me to the Seventh-day Adventists because they were thinking people. I had gone to a lot of different denominations and they were feeling people. Not that Adventists aren't feeling people. Please don't misunderstand me. Some aren't, but praise God, a lot are. I was involved in a neo-Nazi version of Seventh-day Adventism. I say that tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but the re- a little bit. But the reality is, I, I was part of a very ultra-conservative form of Adventism, and frankly, it was a lot of a, a, a dry formalism. And there was coldness. And and I learned what that phrase meant. We'll have to learn how to draw warmth from the coldness of others. Uh, That's a spirit of prophecy quote. I learned that as a new convert. But I also found many loving people. And I found people that were allowing Christ to live within them. And so God wants our minds to be fully intact and make intelligent decisions based on the evidence of His love. And as I spent time in the Word, I found those evidences and my heart melted. And I wanted to become part of the family of God. And eventually, by God's grace, I did. But see, this is what God does. God woos. God God, uh, puts different things in our life and He guides and He trains. He doesn't force the will. And there's a big difference because... The devil wants us to make emotional decisions based on our own happiness. And many of these other denominations that I had looked into, they wanted us to have emotional responses in the worship service. They wanted us to have emotional responses because of the sermon. And when the emotion died away, I would feel like something was missing now in my life because I had mistaken that for the presence of God. Do you catch what I'm saying? By the end of this afternoon, this is all going to tie together and why it's so dangerous to bring Babylonish worship into the Seventh-day Adventist church. It's just very interesting what the devil's doing. God wants us to know what he stands for and who he is. He doesn't hide it or cloak it. And the devil wants to mask who he is and what he stands for. God, I'm so thankful, is an open book. And when I started to open the open book, I started to find God's character. Unfortunately, the open book many times is being closed by his people. Now, there is a war going on in each one of us, inside each one of them. Now, we all can look at and go, yes, there's a cosmic war, but sometimes we don't want to bring it down to the nitty-gritty. We don't want to say, yeah, there's actually a war going on inside of us. The reality is I spend a lot of time with young people, weeks of prayer, going to their classes, going to their academies, and doing these types of presentations, and so this is a pretty simplistic explanation because I am dealing with uh, younger crowds sometimes, but you know what I figured out? Frankly, the adults like the simpler explanations as well. There is a very war going on in each side, inside of each one of us. We have the carnal dog fighting against the spiritual dog. <laughs> the kids go, yeah, that's right. Because there is, the Paul describes it as the carnal man. The Word of God talks about the carnal man. Have you, ever seen, have you ever seen a dog fight? A bad, vicious dog fight? They're terrifying. They are, especially if the dog is yours. Because the teeth are flying, and there's blood, and there's fur, and all this kind of stuff. When it's a real dog fight, it's scary stuff. And you don't know, you can't put your hand in there because they don't know if it's your, hand, your leg or their leg, right? And so, all I was taught is you get a water hose, and you shove it in their nose and their mouth and they go, oh, oh, and they release their bite and you get them apart. Friends, the reality is inside of each one of us there is a very real war going on. There is a dogfight of dogfights going on. The carnal man fighting against the spiritual man. The carnal man without the influence of God and the spiritual man that's trying to lay waste to the carnal man. Should there be this internal war? You better believe it. Does there have to be? Yes. Why? Because I am sold under sin. I am a carnal man. If I don't have the divine influence, I will never partake of the divine nature, you see. And that's what we lost in the Garden of Eden. The human instrumentality with the divine influence created a divine nature. Adam and Eve had this. But when they chose to sin and stand on the side of the devil and to listen to the beat of a different drummer, all of a sudden, the divine influence had to be removed. And now man was meant was left as a carnal man only. And so the whole goal of the Christian life, the whole goal that God has in mind for you and for me is to bring us back to a place where as a poor, carnally, reprobate, bankrupt, carnal man, He will pour into us, each one, His divine influence, His Holy Spirit. And as a result, we can be partakers once again of the divine nature. Praise God. That was lame. That was a lame response (laughs) for the most precious truth that has ever been told to a human ear. That we as bankrupt carnal men and women, can now become the family of God. We can now partake of the divine nature once again. All I have to say about that is, Hallelujah! That doesn't make me, you know, celebration by saying that. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Now, here's the point. Don't miss this point. Whichever dog gets fed that's the one that will win the fight. Think about that. So what dog, what man or woman are you feeding? Are you feeding the carnal for six days a week? Hello? Are you feeding the carnal dog for six days a week? Starving the spiritual dog. You see, when you feed the one, you're starving the other. So if you're feeding the carnal dog with your movies and with the music and with the entertainment and the cares of this life that really bring you no closer to God, are you feeding that carnal dog in your life? If you are, you're starving the spiritual. And don't ever think, friends, that it's enough to just feast on the Sabbath day. Imagine trying to live that way yourself. I'm going to feed the spiritual man on Sabbath, but then I'm going to starve for six days. Why don't you try that, by the way, physically speaking? Just eat on Sabbath. How well is that going to work for you? I mean, I'm not talking, I could do that. Maybe a week, maybe two, maybe 40 days worth. But friends, you cannot live a consistent Christian life like that for very long. And I see my brothers and sisters who are living like the world, beholding the world for six days a week. And then they, they, they feast on while they're at church and try to draw nutrition from the preacher who's just regurgitating the food that he himself had devoured, spiritually speaking. You can't even live on secondhand food, friends. Imagine, okay, come to potluck today. I'll chew all the food for you and then I will regurgitate it for you. Any takers? No, but friends, listen. That's what we've become satisfied with now. It's a life of spiritual mediocrity. I want to chew the food. I want the Holy Spirit to teach me firsthand. And that's an experience. Once you've tasted that, like my brother who was talking up here earlier giving the testimony saying, I was in the Word and I'm doing this and I've realized i got to learn more because I want to... Amen. Amen. And how many of you though in your mind will going, wow, I wish I could do that. Guess what? You can with God's help. Romans 7, 18, Paul talks about this. He says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find it not. For the good I w- that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. In other words, he's saying, I know what's right, for to will is present with me. But, and I know what's right and I know what's wrong, but I find myself doing the wrong stuff. Here's a man of God, and he's talking about the battle inside you see from the Garden of Eden all the way until Jesus comes and redeems his own there's going to be this battle I just want to encourage you to not be the sport of the devil Second Corinthians three eighteen, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the spirit that means the influence or the moving of the Lord so this is, could be summed up as, by beholding we become changed, right? That's a term you'll never hear in the Bible, you'll never read that, but it's a principle that's penned in the Bible. So each one of us, as we behold Christ, we can be changed from what? From glory to glory. I love this. That means the moment I come to Christ, He gives me some of His glory. Amen? Amen? It didn't say from deformity to glory, because Christ is not deformed. And if I'm living in Him, and He's living in me, and His righteousness covers me, and I have His robe on, I got some glory. Amen. So immediately, I get some glory, and He says, now I'll change you from glory to glory. But let's read this Scripture in the opposite. I rewrote the Bible here, don't throw me out. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the sinfulness of the world are changed into the same image. From deformity to deformity, even as by the Spirit the influence of the moving of Satan. You see, when we study the Word... You can't just read what's there. Say, Lord, what is it you want to reveal to me? And the Lord said, Christian, yes, you can be changed my image, but the, the opposite holds true as well. If you behold the world, you don't even start out at glory. What do you start with? Deformity to deformity. You see, God wants to go from here to here. The devil wants to go from here to here. Nothing good for us. So how do both sides have access to our mind? If both sides are indeed after our heart, after our soul, after the mind, how do they have access to the mind? Well, it's the five senses. The five senses. Of course, we have sight and touch. We have taste, smell, and we have our hearing. And we're told that these avenues to the soul... The superhighway to the soul must be carefully guarded. Those who would not fall prey to Satan's devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. They must avoid reading, seeing, or hearing that which will suggest impure thoughts. I think of, of advertisements, for instance, and since I'm in taxi cabs and rental car agencies and airports and different billboards all around the city, Around the world, I see impure thoughts of evil suggestions everywhere. You see, it may not be the fully rendered out thought because it's just a, a snapshot. A friend of mine, Danny Vieira, as I talked to you about last night, he used to have in his health seminar a, a picture of these three young people. They had to be in their just early 20s, bright, gleaming teeth, obviously heavily photoshopped, and they had cigarettes in their hands, and it said, Alive with pleasure. Alive with pleasure. No, they didn't tell you the rest of the story. emphysema, Lung disease. Cancer. Stinky clothing and yellowing of your teeth and your hands and the tar that lined... You see what I'm saying? It was a suggestion of an impure thought. It said, Alive with pleasure. In other words, if I smoke... I'll be alive with pleasure, a suggestion of an evil thought. And they're everywhere. We're not even supposed to let those enter our minds according to this. The mind must not be left to dwell at random upon every subject that the enemy of souls may suggest. And what's crazy is we don't put the sentinel at our hearts anymore, at the avenues. We need to have at least five sentinels, five guards, because we have five senses. Okay, come on, guys, let's go. Today is the day where I need, I, I'm coming to Southern California, Lord. You've got to avert my eyes. It's unbelievable. I live in a town with three stoplights. There's not even allowed billboards in our town. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As I drive into Albuquerque area, all of a sudden, I get, I get just bombarded with all this imagery all over the place. And I'm like, oh, I have to keep my eye on the road, but this is kind of difficult. You see, friends, we need to be vigilant. We need to set our faces aflint, right? But if we don't have the right picture of God, why? Why would we do this? The mind must not be left to dwell at random upon every subject that the enemy of souls may suggest. Those who would not fall prey to Satan's devices. I'm sorry. My, those slides and my slides. are not, I'm, I'm trying to run two things here at one time. And it's okay. Leave it there, guys. We'll back up here a little bit. Here we go. Oh, we're missing missing a part there. Well, here's a nice little review for you. The five senses. (laughs) How do both sides have access to your mind? Well, through sight, through touch, through taste, through smell, and, of course, through our hearing. We must guard well the avenues of the soul. Those who would not fall prey to Satan's devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. They must avoid reading, seeing, or hearing that which will suggest impure thoughts. The mind must not be left... To dwell, good, at random upon every subject that the enemy of souls may suggest. And for some reason, this is not in that slide presentation. The heart must be faithfully sentineled or evils without will awaken evils within and the soul will wander in darkness. So the battle is for the Oh, there it is. (laughs) The battle will is for our mind. Now, why specifically is the battle for the mind? Because, friends, this is actually where the soul is contained. This is the essence, if you wanted to use a word, of who we are. So the battle is for the mind. It's not necessarily for the brain, parts of it, yes, but the battle is for the mind, because this is our consciousness. Has anybody ever heard of the amazing story of Phineas Gage? I would imagine probably more in this area than other parts of the country, since this is a medical community. The reality is Phineas Gage, his story astonished science for many years. He was a 25-year-old Vermont railroad worker, and he, would, as a foreman, would work with a three-foot-long 14-pound tamping iron, and as they were clearing the, uh, the way for the railroad, as they encountered rock, they would have to drill down into the rock, put explosive uh, powders in there, they would put sand on top of that, and then he, at, and the charge lead was in there, and he would come along with his tamping rod, and he would tamp that down, basically creating a massive stick of dynamite. And then everybody would back up, they go zzz, throwing the electrical charge in, it would explode, they'd clear the rubble, and they did this day in and day out, day in and day out. One day, unfortunately, Phineas did not realize that the, uh, there was no packing sand on top of this gunpowder-like um, compound. And unfortunately, when he struck the rock, with his metal rod, it created a spark. It exploded, and it sent the rod up through his cheek and out the top of his head and landed some, I can't remember if it was 100 feet or 100 yards behind him on the ground. He slumped over as a dead man, and everybody couldn't believe what had just happened. A missile had gone through his head, basically. And this was quite graphic, as you can imagine. The rod was propelled through his skull. What's amazing, though, is that he lived to tell about it. He indeed lived. In fact, here is his actual skull after he died. You can see here the damage to the orbital socket here, the fracture heading up on the forehead, and this little cap blown off the top of his head. Now, he lost the use of this eye. This eye remained intact, and as a result... Something radically changed in Phineas Gage. He basically had, by way of accident, a frontal lobotomy. In other words, a removal of the frontal lobe or a lobe of the brain, right? And now understand that this was pretty much a common practice with people that they thought were insane or in crazy. They, they would take out frontal lobes out of people. They could still function. They just had no more moral compass. The essence of who they were, the conscience, the place where we discern the still small voice had been removed. This happened to Phineas. Here's what his attending physician, Dr. Harlow, wrote. He says that Gage was fitful, irreverent, indulging at times in the grossest profanity, which was not previously his custom. You see, what happens is the frontal lobe is supposed to be the king of the brain, and if the king is dethroned, then all the little peasants will go off, okay, and all the medium, the uh, middle management will start going crazy. And so what happened was the king was dethroned in Phineas's uh, case, and when he got upset, the profanity would just flow because there was no governing power anymore. You follow what I'm saying? This is key because this sets the base and the foundation for the rest of what we're going to talk about today. He was impatient of restraint or advice when it conflicted with his desires, a child in his intellectual capacity and manifestations. You see, before this, he was actually a he had a well-possessed mind. He was not trained in the schools, but he was well-liked. He was a Christian man. He had a wife and a family. He was a stand-up guy. He had your back. His whole character changed after this accident. He has the animal passions of a strong man. Previous to his injury, although untrained in the schools, he possessed a well-balanced mind. So what happened was, this frontal lobe to be the king was no longer in charge and indeed could not keep the actions relegated anymore or held back. He couldn't hold his tongue. Eventually, he lost his job, he left his wife, he left his children, he left the church, and he went and joined a circus as a sideshow act for the rest of his life. Sad. Sad situation. Neurologist Dr. Paul McLean, he writes this. He says, concerning the limbic lobes. He said the limbic lobes regulate the emotions concerned with the four primal or base instincts. Now, we're, just gonna, we're not going to get deep into this for, for our sakes. We don't need to, but I need you to understand at least this much, okay? The reality is the limbic system should be under control of your frontal lobe. We can even call it the frontal moral lobe. But the challenge is when the frontal moral lobe is hypnotized or short-circuited or gone to sleep or has been injured, then, like I said, the other uh, leaders in the land take over and the limbic system now is not being governed by the frontal lobe. It's also called by science the crown of the brain. Think of Jesus and his crowns. The limbic lobes regulate the emotions concerned with the four primal, as they call it, or base instincts. We have fight, we have flight, we have feed, and we have fornicate. Now, unfortunately, as evolutionists, they believe in the primal because we are, you know, from primates ultimately. And all the primates are concerned with are these four things flight, fight, feed, and fornicate. Unfortunately, when we allow our frontal lobe to be inhibited or damaged, we basically do reduce ourselves to kind of like a primate. And all we're concerned about are these four base instincts. So imagine this. Imagine if uh, someone comes up and provoked me right now and shoved me backwards and said, come on, man, I want to tangle with you, or whatever he says. My... Initial risk, carnal response is I'm going to take you out. Don't do that again. Haven't been trained in the martial arts. I'd like to, you know, show you that. That's the carnal man speaking though. However, since I died this morning to Christ and asked him to live out his will within me and to take control of my life, take control of my soul to live out his will through my will, in other words, I want to have, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I can have the frontal moral lobe of Jesus Christ. By beholding, I'm changed. Glory to glory, remember? So as a result, someone comes and they want to fight me, I can simply do as the Bible says and I can turn the other cheek because my frontal moral compass is alive and well and holds me back with decorum. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. That's not what the carnal man wants to do. Oh, that's what the carnal man wants to do. As soon as you get back in your stance and you're ready to go, it's like, no, keep the foot up here, Christian. Toma <laughs> arigato, you know. Well, we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot from actually the Asian culture. They're more of a humble culture. They also took care of their frontal lobes for a long time, a lot longer than the American culture. So the reality is, if we're not careful, we will fight when provoked. We will run away from responsibility when we should remain. We will feed and we will not stop when we should stop. We don't have the governing power anymore. We will eat for health and not gluttony. In fact, if I have a healthy frontal lobe, I'm not going to look at your wife and lust and even give her an invitation to inappropriateness. It's not going to happen because my Jesus would never do that, and He's living in you and me. You see how this works. The devil wants to do whatever he can to inhibit the frontal lobe activity in you and in me, because he wants to reduce us to animals. As you look around, it looks almost like everyone has gotten on the bandwagon with him. We like live in a modern day safari now. Neurologist Paul McLean continues on. He says that the limbic system as a whole appears to be the primary seat of emotion, attention, and emotionally charged memories. So, you heard my testimony some last night that I had a terrible childhood. I was beaten, whipped, tied up. I was hit in the head so hard I had grandma seizure. I had a mess of a life as a child. I have so many emotionally charged memories. It's a miracle that I'm not a crazy guy. Off hurting kids or who knows what. But you see, friends, when Christ gets a hold of a man or a woman, oh, He can do miracles. Amen. And so we, I have to be especially careful, maybe even more careful than you, to not engage in things, music or movies or different things like that, that could stir those emotionally charged memories, and work against me. Make sense? you got to be careful. Reading on about Phineas, Dr. Harlow wrote, in this regard, his mind was radically changed so decidedly that his friends and acquaintances said he was no longer Gage. I don't even know who this guy is anymore. You know what? I hear parents saying that about their young people. I don't even know my kids anymore. All he wants to do is sit in his room and play these games and kill the world. Hello. <laughs> By beholding, you're changed. It's not rocket science. It's really quite simple. Is it really that simple? It really is that simple. If all you do is think about how to be more efficient as a group as you're talking with on, on, online as you're gaming and h- hunting other uh, human beings online, of course, then that's not going to change your mind? That's not going to alter your character? Of course it is. No question it'll change that. Ah, oh, it's just harmless fun. No, it's not. And frankly, I believe that the devil's going to be using this kind of training to turn the people of God against the people of God. And one day soon, just might. Because you know what? It's going to be okay to go and hunt the Sabbath keepers. For real. The ultimate hunt. And those who are just feeding on this day in and day out, now they got a green light to go do it for real. They're going to say, sign me up. You think I'm, I'm stretching things too much. No, no, no. Get your head out of the sand. Are we awake this morning? Praise the Lord. So the battle is truly for the mind. And since the devil cannot, listen to this, cannot give us a frontal lobotomy like Phineas had with his accident, he's invented other ways to do this. He knows how to charm the mind. He knows how to short-circuit the frontal lobe. 1T496, she says it very clearly. Satan knows what organs to excite, to animate, engross, and charm the mind so that Christ is not desired. The spiritual longings of the soul for divine knowledge, for growth in grace, are wanting. So the battle is for the mind. we got to keep moving quickly here. The battle is for the mind. Specifically, it's for, as we've mentioned, the frontal lobe. Why the frontal lobe? Because this is the control center of the brain, as we've mentioned. This is also where we problem solve. This is also where the seat of reasoning lies. So what the devil wants to do is to mess with our control center. He wants to take away our our God-given problem-solving abilities. He wants us to not reason anymore, but to blindly follow him. And he no longer wants our Christian filter to be put in place. Do you think the frontal moral lobe is important? (laughs) Expressly for the Christian, it's important. I was raised as a non-Christian. I had a whole different filter set in my mind. If I liked a girl, she liked me. It didn't care if I was married or not. We would engage in all the kissy-kissy, touchy-touchy, and everything else. I had no moral Christian compass. But as I became a Christian, you see, that filter was taken out, and a new filter was put in. And so now, as I was a single young man and I was not married as a Christian, I wasn't out there just on the hunt, if you know what I mean. The reality was I was praying that God would bring me the right woman. But I had to be the right man too. Everybody says, I want the catch. I want a good girl. I want a good guy. Nobody wants to marry a crazy harlot woman. They don't. They might want to play with her, but they don't want to marry her. Nobody wants an idiot jock that can't even put two and two together. And he's just a playboy. Nobody really wants that. Everybody actually really wants a woman and a man that they can trust. Someone that their yay will be yay and their nay is nay. And Christians are those types of people if they're connected. Amen? God drops a new filter in. And now if I get an invitation... It's crazy, man. The world is so licentious. I have stewardesses giving me their phone number, male and female. <laughs> I'm serious. I was like, ah. I went to my wife and I said, God, I got a phone number, another phone number. And she said, oh yeah? And she thinks it's kind of funny. She knows where my heart is. She, she knows I love her more than any p- person on this planet. And she has my heart. So he has nothing to worry about by God's grace. Amen? And so I told her, yeah, but this kind of time it was from a dude. And she was like, ah, ha, ha. well, you're a little too metro, are you? Or whatever. I was like, oh, brother. But the reality is, friends, even as we carry ourselves, it should be known. And I asked my wife, I said, well, what is it? Why would I even get an invitation like that? Because I, I, I don't think it because I don't have a circlet of gold on my finger. Frankly, today, what that means is you can make an invitation and there's no strings attached. That's what it really means today in our culture. Wake up if you don't know that. That's the reality. Because if you don't have that on, then maybe you're looking for that commitment. Where is she? Where is she? like, I'm staying away from that, dude. That's how it's working today now. But the reality is this, if I am Christ, and Christ is in me, and I'm yielded to Him, and I'm abiding in the vine, and the vine's abiding in me, then as we walk around, friends, they will know we've been with our God. The problem is, we're covert Adventists now. We're not overt Adventists. We've taken our Christianity kind of underground because we want to be cool and hip like everybody else. Yeah, what's up, man? Yeah, hey, what's up, girl? You know, what's up? You know, and then you're like, yeah, yeah you want some Bible study or what, huh? <laughs> Is that right? How's that work for you, by the way? It doesn't. But friends, we could even be listening the kind of music, watching the kind of movies, telling the kind of jokes that has that whole attitude. Yo, you want to see one done? And then she's going, that's weird. <laughs> Instead of someone coming up and saying, hey, you know, have you heard? And uh, I'd like to share something with you. You see the difference. Are we becoming too much like the world because we're trying to win the world to the world? Does not compute. Now, we're going to get into something very interesting to me. This is very intriguing. In a frontal lobe that is functioning properly, beta waves are present and active, indicating active sound thinking. What kind of waves? Beta waves. And they are of a high frequency. They kind of go like this. Think of it like this. They're higher frequency, they're faster, and it's kind of scanning, so stuff just can't get in that you don't want it to get in. Very simplistic explanation, but apropos. So the reality is this. When we are in beta, we are critically and dynamically analyzing incoming information. Right now, I'm hoping you're in beta. (laughs) Amen? Because you need to critically analyze every word that's ever preached from these pulpits. We're not supposed to just take it and drink it all in. The reality is the devil has figured out ways to short-circuit our frontal lobe and put us into an alpha state. And this alpha state is of a lower frequency and think of it this way the other one's going like this and stuff can't get in the lower one's like this it's like yeah and as it goes like this all the stuff can go right in again a simplistic explanation but this is indeed how it works so what happens is when we're in an alpha state we are not critically analyzing incoming information is deposited into the memory without interpretation Interesting. Information is deposited into the brain without interpretation. Here's what modern science has proven. Modern science has proven that illegal drugs damage the frontal lobe. In fact, it holds it kind of like in a suspended animation to where the frontal lobe cannot perform its duties. This is why when you're high... You see these guys that are amped up and jacked up and they can punch right through glass windows or they'll, they'll go through. I had a friend of mine, every time he got drunk, he would punch a tree. <sighs> I'm like, dude, the tree will always win. <laughs> I'm serious. He broke his hand over and over because he used to get so mad and they say that when, you're, when you drink that your true personality will come out. Oh, man. The reality is there's no governing factor there. That's why that saying is true. The the moral lobe can't govern that to where, in his normal thinking patterns, he wouldn't walk up and go, hey tree, boom. It wouldn't work. Right? If if he did do that, we're going to send him to a little padded cell. But when you're drunk or you're on illegal substances, the frontal lobe is impaired and we cannot even make decent decisions anymore. Does anybody want to argue with that? Nobody? Praise God. (laughs) Nobody has a problem with that. Some prescription drugs actually damage the frontal lobe. If you're on certain... and, And those of you who have studied this, and many physicians probably in this room, you'll know that there are some drugs that have frontal lobe implications. If there's an alternative drug, go and ask your physician. Say, is there something else that doesn't have any frontal lobe implications? That would be a wise steward, a wise steward of this opus God has given you. Alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, and certain foods damage the frontal lobe. Did you know that? Who wants to argue with alcohol? Anybody want to argue that that alcohol is bad for the frontal lobe? Nobody will argue that one either. In fact, this is why in clubs they don't serve (laughs) Kool-Aid. They don't serve, you know, spritzers with no alcohol in the bars. Because they need to get your frontal lobe impaired so you can have a good time. And before you know it, you're beholding strange women and your mouth is uttering perverse things. Do you see how this works? Because frontal lobe has been, bye-bye. It's been short-circuited or laid waste for that period of time. This is why you wake up and go, how did I even get here? Oh, by the way, what's your name, sweetheart? (laughs) You have to understand, in my past, I had that very experience. I got so wasted, I woke up the next morning and didn't know the person I was laying next to. And I said, "Ah." never again. As a heathen guy, I said, I will never touch alcohol again. I did not like the fact that I was so out of control I didn't even know what I was doing. And the devil says, yep, alcohol works awesome, yep, some prescription drugs work well, illegal drugs, yep, works well. Now here's the one that people want to argue with me, caffeine impairs the frontal lobe. Spirit of Prophecy says we shouldn't be consuming it, not even caffeinated teas, why? Because, friends, she knew it impaired our physiology. She may not have known specifically it was the brain that it impaired or the frontal lobe, but she knew you could not make the moral decisions you can when you're off of the caffeine. Take it to the Lord. I used to be a Dr. Pepper-aholic. That was my drug. And I drank it over and over and over and over again. I was getting jacked on that on that uh, caffeine. I didn't know I was damaging my frontal lobe. So for me now, it's got to be a no. Amen? Well, that's too radical. You better believe it. I'm living in a day and age when Jesus is about to come and he needs some people to go, enough with all this stuff. I need to hear the steel small voice. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Certain food combinations uh, can imp- impair the frontal lobe. We don't have time to get into that. Certain modern movies impair the frontal lobe. Many modern television programs impair the frontal lobe literally. What happens is, it's called the rapid scene of reference change. And as we sit there, and the mind is shown this, and it's shown that, and it's shown this, and some of the modern day movies, they are cut so fast, your brain can't even latch on to hardly what's going on. And what happens is, the frontal lobe goes, uh, 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 and then just kind of goes and goes, uh, And your little hard drive just sits there and kind of skips, you know? And what happens is you go into a beta mode. Alpha. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. The message today is watch as many movies as you can. No. No. Thank you. You're listening. Praise the Lord. You go into an alpha mode where the incoming information is not interpreted or thought about at the time of exposure. So you sit there for an hour, two or three hour epic journeys for The Hobbit, and all the stuff is flying into your head, wow those graphics are amazing, or whatever we're doing, <laughs> while all of this information is changing our souls. Because we're not even thinking about it at the time of exposure. Who do you think is behind that? Did the devil invent movies to do that? No. Is there anything wrong with movies? No, if they're edited properly with the proper music beds and the storyline is teaching us a biblical principle or a moral principle. Someday it's my dream to actually create a feature film. That's something I want to do. But I can't employ all the goofy techniques of Hollywood to manipulate you. You see the difference? So it's not necessarily the medium. It's how the medium is used or how they put it together. So if it's rapidly changing, the brain can't latch onto it. It says, uncle, I give up. I mean, okay, how many times have you ever sat, or maybe you know somebody, maybe it's not you. How many times have you sat in your living room and you're watching a movie or you're watching MTV or whatever it may be, and you're like this just dazed and confused, right? And the drool's just kind of coming out of your mouth. And you're like, I really got to go to the restroom. I'm kind of... kind of thirsty right now. Honey? Honey? Huh? Can you take out the garbage? Uh Uh-huh. Anybody ever had that? Seriously, think about that. Have you ever just been so pulled in, you're just zoned out? You've been hypnotized. Now let's get more specific. The prefrontal cortex. This is the front, pre, before, frontal cortex. This is the front, front part of the brain. Okay? Okay. And this is going to get very interesting for you, and we'll move along. The prefrontal cortex, the Bible, excuse me, science even calls this the crown. This is specifically where our character is contained. This is where our spirituality resides. This is where our discernment is activated, where our morality is contained. This is where we make those moral decisions, my friends. This is where the will is contained. Also, this is where we choose, where we obey, and where we worship. Do you think the devil is after this? Oh yeah. Do you think God is after this? Yes. Yes. This, right here, is your mind. Right here is your soul. It's not your soul. No, it's right here. Literally right there. So, how does this all work? Well, how it all works is... all of the things that we, every day, engage in. Everything we have ever done. Everything we have ever smelled. Everything we've ever tasted, we've ever seen, we've ever heard. Everything we've ever touched. Everything is all perfectly recorded. Did you know that? From the dawning of consciousness, Every sense. It's like a multi-track recorder has been recording your entire life from the dawn of consciousness. What's amazing is that each one of you knows that's true because all of a sudden something will trigger a memory and you're back on that bicycle riding as that little girl with the wind blowing in your hair. You can smell it. You can feel it. You, even when you fell and hit your knee, you remember that. You even grab your knee sometimes. go, Oh, I remember that. Everything has been perfectly recorded. Now, most of us have a problem with recall, but it's all there. It's all there. So, my life, being a heathen, not having the Lord for 24 years of my life, I put in so much on those multi-track recorders that I was an enemy of God. I had no thought of Jesus And so what God has been doing is pouring in new memories, new experiences. Amen? Amen. What a sad thing if I had basically just continued the same experience that I was having, but now just called myself a Christian. No wonder we can't have victory. Everything's perfectly recorded. Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinketh within himself, so is he. Whatever you're letting your mind chew on, that's what you become. Science has found some amazing things. Music in the brain, an interesting article in Newsweek, it said that scientists are finding that the brain is pre-wired for music. The temporal lobes of the brain just behind the ears act as the music center. The brain seems to be a sponge for music and, like a sponge in water, is changed by it. Now, they're not just talking about the character changes. There's evidence now that the actual physiological brain is altered. Yes, by music. Anybody ever heard of David Merrill's high school science fair project? This is going to amaze you. By the way, what time am I stopping? When you're done when you're done? <laughs> Did you bring your seat belts so you don't... I'm what? Just keep going? Yeah. You guys, okay, praise the Lord. Cruisin' for a bruising. Alright. 16-year-old David Merrill thought that the loud sounds of hard rock music must have a bad effect on his devoted fans. He came up with a way to test that damage. Merrill got 72 mice and divided them into three groups, one to test a mouse's response to hard rock, another to the music of Mozart, and a control group that wouldn't listen to any music at all, rock or classical. The young visionary got all the mice accustomed to living in aquariums in his basement and then started playing music around 10 hours a day. Merrill put each each mouse through a maze three times a week that originally had taken the mice an average of 10 minutes to complete. Over time, now remember that number, all of them had about 10 minutes it took for them to get through the maze. So here he is, he creates this little maze, he opens the little door, and they smell the cheese or whatever he did as their task, and they want to get over here to get that little goodie, and they go over here, and they go over here, and then before you know it, all of them, it took about 10 minutes to get through that maze that he built. Over time, the 24 control group mice managed to cut about five minutes from their maze completion time so the mouse mice that didn't listen to any music they cut their time in half they got more efficient they go oh yeah no i'm not going there i'm going over here and they got through twice as fast okay now the mozart listening night mice cut their time back eight and a half minutes down to a minute and a half down to a minute and a half from 10 minutes so in other words, little mice with little pea brains got smarter listening to Mozart. They're all like, dum, 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 <laughs> yeah, I'll go through, uh, 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 you know. <laughs> I shall go to with thy cheese, you know, no. They, but the reality is their brains became more efficient. Go look up the Mozart effect online. About the only thing you want to look at probably right now. The Mozart effect. What they have found that just by simply playing classical music and even specifically Mozart, because there's higher frequencies used there and the brain really lights up and likes that, even just tucked away in the corner in a classroom, test scores go up on average about 20%. You need some advantage as a student? Listen to some Mozart and throw out the junk. The recall rate is even higher if you listened to the same song that you listened to while you studied as when you took the test. The scores went even higher. The average person listening to classical music has about 20-point gain in their IQ. And these little mice were like, yeah. (laughs) I cut it back eight and a half minutes. But, friends, there's another group we need to talk about. The hard rock mice added... 20 minutes to their time. <laughs> Music just doesn't affect me. <laughs> little mice with little pea brains got wasted. And they're like, dude, I, I don't even know how to get there, man. I, I want that cheese, man. But I, I'm just going to go over here and Oh, dude, it's like a dead end. <laughs> oh, it's like a dead end. It's like, it's like, I can't even think, man. (laughs) Exactly. The Mozart mice cut it back eight and a half minutes. The hard rock mice made their average 300% worse than their original time. In fact, when when this went out on the Associated Press... And this was reported around the world. Scientists around the world said, mm, no. And they did, repeated the experiment. And they're like, hmm, that's pretty interesting. And then they went a step further, and they did autopsies on the little mice. And they found, oh, they're all <laughs> If they're in my house, they're dead, OK? <laughs> Oh, oh, the little mice. I mean, go, Give me a break. Uh, I love that you have a sensitive heart like that. You've obviously never lived in the country. <laughs> Vermin! <laughs> no, anyway, I'm sorry. But here's the point. When they cut these little brains open in the hard rock mice the brain had actually shrunk and atrophied, and there was unusual, dangerous branching in the cortex. What's it doing to us, by the way, that have very sensitive frontal moral lobes? Need we say more? Well, maybe we do. This is all an ad, I mean, all an article. Merrill told the Associated Press that he attempted the experiment the year before, allowing mice in the different groups to live together. I had to cut my project short because all of the hard rock mice killed each other. Merrill said, none of the classical mice did that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yes. Let's be careful what we put into our ears, my friends. What we put into our eyes, if little mice can be altered that radically, so can you. People say, that's mice though, Christian. I'm a human being. Well, let's take a quick example of a human being. Anybody ever heard of Patty Hearst? Well, Patty Hearst back in 1974 was kidnapped by the Symbionese uh, Liberation Army. Shortly after, now she came from an affluent family, a publishing family, one of the largest publishing families in the world, and here she is, the Hearst family, and she is a rich girl, she's got a cross hanging around her neck, she's a sweet girl, she's an ambitious girl, but shortly after she's kidnapped, she helps to rob a bank willingly. How in the world was she converted? According to Dr. William Sargent, Britain's foremost expert on brainwashing, he says that as he examined Patty Hurst, she was an unwilling victim of a forced conversion or brainwashing. And this is exactly what the devil wants to do with you and me. He wants to force our conversion away from the Lord. He wants to brainwash us. According to Sargent, a person whose nervous system is under constant pressure can inhibit and exhibit paradoxical brain activity. Bad becomes good and vice versa. And that, Sargent argues, is precisely what happened to Patty. Her nervous system was kept at maximum stress by the continual playing of loud rock music. In short order, they deprived her of sleep. They de- by the way, how many students are deprived of sleep? They deprived her of good nutrition. By the way, how many students and doctors are uh, deprived of good nutrition? And they were const- she was constantly exposed to hard rock music. Friends, you tell me where you can go on this planet and there's not music playing. It's everywhere. Forced conversion, brainwashed by the continual playing of loud rock music. Jimi Hendrix, anybody ever heard of this little guy? Yeah, one of the biggest stars in all of psychedelic rock, basically. He says you can hypnotize people with music. Is he right? You better believe he's right. When you get them at their weakest point, alpha... There's so much in this statement, there's so much in this statement, I don't even know if he understood completely what he was saying. And when you get them at their weakest point, you can preach into the subconscious what we want to say. It's just music, it's just harmless, Christian. Why are you making such a big deal? Why are you chasing the devil's bunnies? Dr. Daniels and Bernaget uh, Skubik, neuroscientists, they have said, their studies have proven that any music that contains low pounding frequencies, like the ones that we hear at airports, our construction site, is considered to be a brain drain. Rock, hip-hop, pop falls into this category because of the driving bass guitar and other low pounding sounds. This is why when I travel, anything more than about an hour trip, I'll actually put on my noise-canceling headsets that I have. I invested in some of those. I'm far more refreshed by the time I get to my destination because I haven't been assaulted and having my brain drained by that low droning of the engines all the time. I also try not to sit right by the engines and sit more toward the front of the aircraft because all of that noise travels down the back of the aircraft and it does inhibit. Those at the back of the aircraft will be far more tired than those at the front. Very interesting, but this is science. So I just use this information as, an, as a way to know how to combat it well so I can actually be more refreshed to sing and preach for Jesus when I arrive where I need to go. Sometimes the devil sticks me in the back of that airplane and I'm like, no, no. But the reality is we need to be educated on these things so we can actually be more efficient in our walk with Jesus. Dr. Alfred Tomatis. He says that music that contains high frequencies helps the brain to recharge. The higher the frequency, the more the brain is recharged. Between 5,000 and 8,000 hertz, the music of Mozart, for example, contains more of these frequen- frequencies than other composers. In fact, what's interesting is if you've ever used uh, or listened to Dr. Neil Nedley's Depression the Way Out seminar, anybody ever experienced that? What does he prescribe? What kind of hard rock music is it? It's not! He prescribes specifically for depressed people classical music. And even music that has high frequencies because he understands the brain can be recharged. The soul can be uplifted out of the depth of depression. It would be crazy to give a depressed person depressing music. Or music that has low pounding frequencies that would cause the brain to be Drained. Does music affect man's physical body? David Tame, in his book The Secret Power of Music a musicologist writes this. There is scarcely a single function of the body which cannot be affected by musical tones. The roots of the auditory nerves are more widely distributed and possess more extensive connections than any other nerve in the body. That's interesting. I believe, like I said last night, it's because a musical God created us, a musical people. And He wanted us to experience music and even experience music. To feel music, there's nothing wrong with that. We just don't want to be feeling music, baby. (laughs) Amen? Especially in the house of God. Music can raise or lower blood pressure. It can help mental illness. And I would say definitely create mental illness It can cause depression or help assist pulling you out of a depressed state. It can help those that suffer from retardation. It helps those who have insomnia or it will create insomnia. It can change your metabolism. We can slow it up or speed it, uh, slow it down or speed it up. It can affect muscular energy and also it can influence digestion. And it does all of these things. uh, Julius says it may be able to do all of these things more successfully than any other stimulants that can produce those changes in our body. I'm going to need my volume up on 11 and 12, please. And so the reality is, music in many cases is more efficient than the medication itself. Incredible. And we're going to be doing a version two of this Distraction Dilemma in about a year from now. And we're going to go deeper into the medical findings. They're using music for preemies that are in these neonatal intensive care units. They just play a little bit of classical. They have about a 20% greater uptake of oxygen. Why? Because God loves us. And the devil hates us. Frederick Chopin. Anybody ever heard of Chopin? It's not Chopin, by the way. I have to look at that and remember, don't say it like it looks. He was a 10-year-old pianist. 10-year-old pianist and composer. He would be summoned to play for Grand Duke Constantine, governor of Poland. And this is amazing to me. I didn't know this before. But Chopin's music controlled his seizures. Did you know that? The cure would last. Oops. Control seizures with that. And what's interesting is the cure would last for a time, then he would call for young Chopin again when the musical medicine had worn off. So the reality is you can use music in a way that's a blessing. We can use music in a way that's not a blessing. And now I want to tie it all together in the next couple minutes we spend together, and then we'll be done. Let's go to the Word of God. Amen. Revelation 14:9, and perhaps you're going to see something like you have not seen before. And the third angel followed them, saying, with a loud voice, "If any man worship the beast and his image and receive a mark in his "what?" Forehead. If he receives a mark in his "what?" His no," in his prefrontal cortex. Uh-huh if he received a mark in his prefrontal cortex or in his hand. So here's one group who are worshiping the beast and his image. How many of us might be worshiping the beast and his image even going to church on the right day? We might be for six days a week filling our prefrontal cortex and our, our mind with the things of the world and therefore we receive his character. Amen? Is making sense? Now, there's a different group talking about their foreheads. Praise the Lord. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his what? Father's what? Name written where? In their prefrontal cortexes. Excellent. Good job. So here's another group. There's a group that have received the mark of the beast. They have the character of Satan. And even in their hand, they're doing the things of Satan, right? It's what they do. And now, we have another group. The 144,000, according to the Bible, have ceased to what? Sin. They've ceased to sin. They've ceased to sin because they have the mind of Christ in their foreheads. The battle, friends, is for the mind. Like never before, it truly is to grab our souls in their foreheads. Let's talk about Satan's forehead for a moment. Satan was once, this is creepy to me, Satan was once an honored angel. We forget about that. He was, that was his history. He was an honored angel in heaven. Next to Christ, his countenance, like those of other angels, was mild and expressive of happiness. Hi, I'm Lucifer. No, that's okay. Son of the morning, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with him being called Lucifer. It was a privileged title. We now think, ooh, Lucifer, because we know the history. But before that, he was Lucifer. Wow. I'm going to go hang out with Lucifer, the number two guy. His forehead, I'm sorry, his what? His forehead was high and broad, showing great intelligence. His form was perfect, his bearing noble and majestic. I was shown Satan as he once was, a happy, exalted angel. Then I was shown him as he now is. He still bears a kingly form, his features are still noble for he's a fallen angel. But the expression of his countenance is full of anxiety and care, unhappiness, malice, hate, mischief, deceit, and every evil. So if that's what you want in your life, follow the devil. That brow, which was once so noble, I particularly notice, she writes, his forehead commenced from his eyes to recede. Okay, wait a second. When he was a happy exalted angel, what was his forehead like? High and broad, showing great intelligence. We could say wisdom from God, right? His frontal lobe was pulsing with the blood of God. But friends, he's so long bent himself on evil that now his frontal lobe, excuse me, his front even his forehead from his eyebrows, commence to recede. His skull has physiologically even changed. Why? He has no frontal lobe left. This is why he doesn't care who he kills, man, woman, or child, because there is no moral compass anymore, and he wants us to be just like him. Mm. And so she continues on, I saw that he had so long bent himself to evil that every good quality was debased and every evil trait was developed. His eyes were cunning and sly and showed great penetration. A smile was upon his face which made me tremble. It was so full of evil and satanic slyness. This smile is the one he wears just before he makes sure of his victim. And as he fastens the victim in his snare, this smile grows horrible. He's just, (laughs) I've got him! And he's a preacher! I've got him! And he's a theologian! I've got him! And he's a deacon! I've got him! And he's, a lay person. I've got him. And he's the parent of a child that there was great promise. But because they see the hypocrisy in mom and dad, they're going to leave the church in just a couple of years. <laughs> As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Friends, we're playing with fire when we play with the devil's things. Right. Is this strong, message too strong this morning? I don't apologize if it is. Because friends, we're living in the earth's final days and some of us are acting like we got all the time in the world. Well, this has to happen on Sunday laws and this and this before Jesus comes. Wait a second. I could hop on an airplane and that airplane can go down and my probation's up. I am not promised tomorrow, my friends. Just because we're educated on what's going to be coming in the future doesn't mean that I'm going to get to see the future. So choose you this day whom you will serve. Amen? Amen? So why hasn't Jesus come yet? I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the what? The seal, the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, until, what? What? until we have sealed the servants of our God in their prefrontal cortexes. Is that what it says? You better believe it. That's what it means. This is what God means by study to show yourself approved unto me. Be faithful like the Bereans. Think on these things. Stop going through life with your head in the sand. God says, look, I call my people And my people hear my voice. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, is the invitation from a loving Savior. Rest from all of the distractions in this world, and my people will hear my voice when they come out of the distractions. But there's so many distractions right now that they can't even hear my still small voice. So friends, we need to detox. We need to detox. I had a man come up to me last night and say, it's interesting when I would work on engines and if I played rock music, I could, I'd get frustrated and I couldn't complete the tasks. I'd play classical music and it just, everything flowed much better. That's a practical application of a little bit of what we talked about. The reality is, God wants our foreheads. I want to give Him my forehead. Remember, there's a very real war going on inside of us. There's the carnal dog fighting against the spiritual dog. And whichever dog gets fed is the one that will win the fight. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Feed the spiritual man. Starve the carnal. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, oh, all we like sheep have, have gone astray. I pray, Father, that You would forgive us for where we have strayed from the path. And we're, we know that You are you're ever willing to take us back. Whether we've strayed far or we've just started to tiptoe off, I don't know. You know. You know each one of our cases, Father. I ask that you would please forgive us for our sins. You would give us courage, Father, to walk forward in life with you, to keep the distractions at bay. And Father, I pray you would bring conviction in each one of our hearts where we need to lay self in the dust and to stand up and to be yoked with Jesus Christ. You said that your burden is light. And Father, I know that's true. I ask that you would bless each one of my brothers and sisters here. I pray that you would help each one of us to make a decision right now to be the sons and daughters of God. Lord, I choose you this day. And I ask that you would please pick me up, set me on that path that leads to everlasting who has Jesus right ahead of us on that path. And we're told in the spirit of prophecy, Lord, that if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who is leading your people to the city, we will be safe. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your Son to die for us. We ask that you would be with us and help us to guard the edges of the Sabbath. And may this be a high Sabbath for us. We give you our lives. Here am I, Lord. Send me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www. Dot audioverse.org.